Action Park Media. Welcome back to Entertain Her. You are here today with Sarah, Aaron, and Erica. We do not have Zulai, but that's okay. We're going to bring to you a very special episode. We do miss Zulai and we'll have her next week, but we are excited for you to listen who we have in the studio today. She's a fellow Action Park Media podcaster. Erin, tell us a little bit more about our amazing guest. I am so excited. Ashley Levitch of the NARC and Me podcast. I mean, you guys, seriously, when I was hearing this woman was coming on, you know, we talk all things narcissism. It's, it's a topic getting a lot of attention and we're going to talk to her. I'm like, so curious about understanding is it, is, is narcissism trending more or are there just more narcissists populating in the world today? So I'm, I can't wait to really like get honest and candid with her and her podcast is so good. Um, she talks about in her podcast about how she's a five-year narcissistic abuse, abuse survivor. Um, and you know, so we're going to get really clear on a topic. I think gets a lot of discussion with not necessarily a lot of clarity. So I'm stoked. I don't know how you guys feel, but like narcissism is, is, is really fascinating to me. I also feel like, I know, I know that there's narcissism everywhere, but living in Los Angeles, it's got to be higher numbers. Right? How many celebrities are probably narcissists? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they've got to drive them here, it's all about them. It's their entire, like an entourage justifies their every move, things they say. They're so amazing. They're never hurt. They're never told no. I mean, that's got to breed narcissists. Yeah. And think about even like politicians are probably narcissists to just sort of like be willing. And that's what I'm so curious about is like, when do you know that you're the bomb.com? And when do you know that you're a narcissist that like just wants to walk all over people? You know, like where is the line of confidence and being like, I got this to the line of where I guess it's abusive. So I'm really stoked to talk to her and uh, let's, should we jump right in? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, you guys. Well, I'm really excited to chat about this topic. This is something that we talk about all the time, whether it's in studio or at lunch. Um, and we may know, <laughs> but I'm really excited to have Ashley from the NARC and Me podcast. She is a five-year survivor of narcissistic abuse. And you, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Talk all things narcissism. And, you know, it's interesting because, well, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it is a topic that I don't know if you're noticing this because you do put out really great content. You eloquently kind of describe what narcissist, what narcissistic abuse is. Are, is narcissism a trending topic? Are you, are you, are we talking more about narcissism than we've ever talked about before? Yeah, I think that we are talking about it more, but it's not, it's not even more it's we're we're exposed to people's stories more because we have the tools of social media, right? So people are now telling their stories on Instagram and TikTok and writing in blogs. And we didn't, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago when there wasn't an internet resource, 
the abuse was happening. Narcissistic abuse is in Greek mythology with Narcissus. It's in the Bible. This is not new. The first time narcissistic abuse was documented by a therapist was in the 1800s. So this has been happening throughout time. So that's really interesting that you say that because are you seeing a generation of increased narcissists with the onset of social media? Or is it because like you just said, we're just seeing, we're being exposed to more situations now that we have the vehicle of social media? Well, it's both. So we are seeing more survivor stories and the conversation is growing, which is actually great because when the conversation grows, then there's a level of awareness. And most of us who are survivors didn't know anything about narcissism, didn't know the signs to look for, the red flags, any of it. So there is a, a massive benefit to the conversation growing. But I, I also see in the research and the experts who are speaking openly that there is a growth in numbers of narcissists. So we remember narcissism is a spectrum. Everybody has narcissistic traits. But if you're at the far end of the spectrum, you can be diagnosed with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. Those numbers are growing. It's anywhere from 2 to 20% of the population. When you look at 8 billion people, some researchers even say 20% is low. So out of 8 billion people, 20% are abusive to their partners behind closed doors and leave this emotional wreckage behind. That's a pretty high number. And why are we seeing an increase in that number? You know, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, to be totally honest. So it's previously thought that narcissistic personality disorder was a result of trauma, of the needs not being met of the child. But there's new research showing that there's a predisposition at birth. So there's a predisposition. Mm -hmm. If the needs are met, the child is nurtured. They're, they're getting everything they need. They're able to express themselves. Potentially that isn't triggered, but when it goes the other way, and unfortunately with parents, busy lives, this isn't always just trauma that is abuse, right? Because a child may feel like their needs aren't being met simply because their parents aren't around when by virtue of the fact that in today's world, most parents aren't always around they're at work or whatever else. So there are some really sticky societal changes where there isn't always someone around to meet the needs of the child that then could trigger narcissism. And then there's also the very small number of people where it is from the opposite, the constant doting, you're perfect. Nothing you do is ever wrong. That is, less in terms of percentages of narcissists. It's usually more the overt or covert or grandiose. And those come from the lack of needs being met, but it's a really de delicate topic. And the crazy thing is, even though it's been around forever, it only made it into the DSM-5, the diagnostic in 1980. So the research is still new. It's, <clears throat> it is so fascinating to talk about this. And one of the things that's really interesting is like, no one wants to be considered a narcissist. Like that is one of the worst insults you could say to somebody. However, right. I mean, I, I think, I, I, I think because like when you label somebody a narcissist, you know, like all the terms that come with it, people just don't want to self-reflect and be aware. And like you said, we do, we're all on a spectrum. We all have elements of it, you know, anytime we like sort of insert ourselves can be considered a narcissistic perspective. Um, but there's not a lot of like self-help for the narcissist. They get shipped off to the island and then we just dictate that they're narcissists. Like, what do we do with like this increasingly growing population of narcissists? Like, I don't see the, I don't 
like, is that even a thing? Because I, I'm sure the narcissist doesn't always necessarily identify as a narcissist because they're, they're, you know, like, no, not me at all. And like, I don't know, are we seeing like self-help for people or is there no help for the narcissist? Well, here's the irony. They don't care. Mine was diagnosed. He knows. And you know what he said? So they don't care. Wow. They don't believe anything is wrong with them. We are all the problem. There is no cure for narcissistic personality disorder. It's not like we're shipping them off. They, excuse my French. They don't fucking care. They're going to find someone new to abuse as soon as you set up boundaries or you realize who they are and don't want to be a part of it. Or you're so broken, you're useless to them at the end of it. They don't care. So there, there are therapists who work with narcissists. I know two who are self-aware and they say openly, they will always be a narcissist. They will continue to mm. abuse around them. The difference is now they have a small amount or some awareness of why I do what I do, but I'm still going to keep doing it. Are they in denial or, or are they aware, but no, they're kind of just, denial. they are not in denial. No, they know what they do is abusive and hurtful to others. They don't care. Wow. Narcissists lack empathy. So the def one of the nine traits is a lack or void of empathy. So you can't, it can't be in denial thinking that you did something wrong when there's no empathy. It is a shame-based disorder. And, you know, that's why they create this false mask, this false persona of how perfect they are, how they gain their new supply by creating a facade for each and every person that they're with. There's no object constancy. So you and I, all of us as a group, right? One would assume we have some object constancy. Erica, I'm so sorry. I like spoke over you earlier. That was rude. I shouldn't have done that. Like I can recognize when I do something wrong and then I can apologize mm -hmm. to you for it. And I, and personally, I feel held accountable to do that at every, you know, mistake I make, but a narcissist lacks object constancy. So they could have completely destroyed your life, but that's okay. Whatever they did, you deserved it. I've moved on. There's no empathy to go back and apologize. Like quite often it is the really dark side of all of this. Survivors of abuse find themselves, if not close or literally at the point of suicidal, the abuser doesn't care that they put them through everything in the world to get them to a place, an emotionally stable human who is now so destabilized, they're suicidal. They don't care. They're busy moving on to the next person. And that's, that's why they are so difficult. The Paul Conti, who's double board certified at Harvard and Stanford, calls them the most dangerous human beings on the planet. Sorry, the most destructive human beings on the planet. Excuse me. So it's I was listening to the podcast where you had the narcissist on. What was his name again? I've had two on. I've had Lee and Ben. It might have been Lee, it, but I was surprised. He, his wife called him a narcissist. He then went to like a Facebook yeah. group. Yeah. And then went to therapy to get help. And he's very aware of being a narcissist. Cause I always thought that a narcissist would never admit to being a narcissist. So I was surprised by him and that he went to go get help. I didn't. He's a rare case. Okay. <laughs> One thing I hear often in the community and my ex said this, my ex said to me once, he said something about how something was wrong with him. Well, no shit, Sherlock. But 
but most narcissists have that deep feeling throughout their life that something is wrong with them, but most of them continue because they can't deal with the shame. So Brene Brown says it's, you know, her definition is a shame-based disorder with a fear of being ordinary. So instead of feeling the shame and sitting in it and processing it, they just keep layering stuff on top, new people, new things, new experiences. They're always pushing that away, but there are literally on the internet, there's maybe a handful that I could give you names in the millions of people who are posting about being survivors. There's only a handful of self-aware narcissists and all of them say the same thing. They felt like something was deeply wrong with them and they felt it was just that, that constant state of discomfort they couldn't get past. And so at a certain point, they went to therapy and they had a therapist who was willing to straight up say, you're a narcissist and treat them. A lot of the times therapists will walk away because they know there's no cure. That's, say, I'm not I, I ended up feeling bad for him. I was like, this guy's good. He's got me feeling bad for him that he yeah. said he's lonely. He's never really known what love feels like. He doesn't understand why people hold hands. Uh, it was just, I was like, oh, poor guy. But you know, mm -mm. that's also, I know Lee and he's a great guy, but that's also the victim story that the narcissist always tells because I know Lee's wife and his children. He is loved. Yeah. That's sad to not know what love feels like. It makes me feel bad for the narcissist I know. Well, if, if you don't, if you don't encompass empathy, you can't feel love. So a narcissist actually mm -hmm. thinks that they are completely in love and they love you, but your definition of love and a narcissist definition of love is very different. It's not real love. What is their definition of love? You being subservient. Them owning you like, yes. Yeah. Coercion, control, ownership. I mean, my said know? I love you all day every day but he never How, loved me. For our listeners that are listening, I'm curious how they would know if they're dating a narcissist. Right. So knowing if you're with a narcissist is tough, right? Because they create a facade. They have this perfect persona. They study the people that they are with. So we covered actually the nine traits of person, uh, narcissistic personality disorder in one of my first episodes. But if you are going into dating with someone, a narcissist always moves quickly. They just do. They move really quickly. They tell you they love you there quickly. I mean, my ex and his new supply, they were pregnant within two months. Things move fast. They move in with you after a month. They typically are homeless <laughs> a lot of the time, not all that's, you know, a, a big sweeping generalization, but a lot of them are because they move from supply to supply. There's this running joke in the abuse community that they show up with everything in trash bags, which every single person I know who had a narcissistic partner left with all their things in trash bags, including mine. But if you start to know the, the traits, then you can know the red flags and the red flags really are that speed that getting you to tell them everything about yourself, because what they're doing is going to use that as ammunition. They give you a victim story and that's the start of the trauma bond. And the reason why people are in these relationships for so long is that abuse creates this really horrific cocktail of chemicals in our body. And it creates what's called a trauma bond. And often when someone love bombs you, which is what these, that fast moving process in the beginning is the love bombing, it creates a trauma bond because mm. it's blended with a victim story of, you know, 
I was abused as a kid or my parents were never there for me or things never work out for me or my old ex was crazy. That's a big red flag. When they say all oh, my exes were crazy, you run when you hear that. So they always have a victim story <laughs> and they match that with love bombing and it creates this sort of high, this cocktail. And I interviewed Cody Isabel, who's a neuroscientist. And when they do brain scans side by side of someone in a trauma bond who's being abused with a cocaine addict, they're identical. Trauma bond, wow. the reason why people stay so long, the average survivor tries to leave seven times or more. The reason why it takes forever to get out of these relationships because you are trauma bonded, they say a trauma bond is harder to break than a heroin addiction. It's not easy. Wow. But, you know, That's... something that my therapist told me, which I thought was really interesting. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. My horoscope today said your body knows all. And my therapist had said to me, you know, when we're looking towards healthy relationships in the future, you have to start to listen to your body. We're all taught this Disney story that when we meet someone, we're going to feel some butterflies, right? We're going to feel this like kind of excitement about the person. That's actually your internal warning system going off. Those are your mm -hmm. internal red flags. When you feel that lightning in a bottle, like, oh my gosh, this is like magic. This person is perfect for me. That's like, we have all these commonalities. Everything is just great. That is a big red flag. That is your body telling you to run. And that is exactly how you feel when you start a relationship with a narcissist. So you're pretty transparent yeah. about your own abuse. <clears throat> how did you break the trauma bond? I mean, I know that you probably talk about it. Where do you start if you, if you have a friend or you know someone that's in a trauma bond situation and what is a trauma bond? I mean, you kind of explained it, but yeah, a trauma bond is a love addiction. It's a chemical addiction created in the body through this rewards devaluing system. So with a narcissist, it's not abuse all the time. It's love bombing. It's breadcrumbing. It's all of these great times. And then they abuse you and devalue you and sometimes discard, but then they come back and then it's all like over and over and over. And it becomes this cyclical experience that can go anywhere from a couple of weeks to a couple months. So, you know, this crazy making that happens creates this trauma bond. And typically most people don't even know what a trauma bond is until after the relationship and they're out of it. The most critical component is seeking a professional therapist or a coach who is trauma informed and has been through narcissistic abuse. This is a very succinct form of domestic violence where ultimately the goal is to break down your sense of self. When you leave and you're trauma bonded, you have no sense of self. I could have looked in the mirror and seen any one of you. I had no idea who I was. And I'm a really strong person. I've owned my company for 10 years. I've had my own house. Like all my stuff is together. And I had no fucking clue who I was. I barely knew my own name. So you most certainly need help to get through it. Breaking the trauma bond, the only way to do it is resolving cognitive dissonance. Throughout the relationship, you form cognitive dissonance. He seems like an amazing man. He does all these amazing things. He volunteers. He's vegan. You know, he's part of the community. He tells me he loves me. He buys me presents. We go on trips. But he does this. Your brain chooses one. I believe he's a good person. That's why I'm staying. Because even though he abuses me, maybe physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually, financially, he still does all these nice things. So he has to be a good person, right? Your brain chooses that. And until you can start to make the shift and look at them as a bad person who does good things, then you can't resolve the trauma bond. And that's where therapy comes in because you have to start to see them for who they are.
what was, where did the catalyst start for you um, when you realized you were in a situation that you need to get out? We went to couples therapy, which is not suggested with a narcissist because a lot of the times therapists are not well-trained on this and they don't see it and they end up believing the victim is the problem because the narcissist will gaslight the therapist. I ended up getting lucky. Yeah, it happens a lot. I got really lucky and I went to a therapist who had experience and we went together and I picked a man thinking, well, he'll be more, you know, he'll be more receptive to this if it's a man. So we went and we went, I think only for like six, seven weeks. And my abuser had left to figure out what he was doing. You know, he'd only told me he was going to propose a million times, asked my dad four years before, and we'd been back and forth and went, decided to go figure himself out, which we hear that a lot with a narcissist and quite often they ended up being with someone else. So I talked to the therapist separately. He called me and said, it's emotional suicide to stay with this man. You don't see the ways you're dying. And when he came back and love bought me, I was 44. And he said, babe, I'm ready. Let's get married. I really want to have a baby. And I know it's kind of the end of the rope for you on having kids. So we went down the path of fertility and it didn't work. I couldn't get pregnant. And then he left me and I was a mess. And so I decided to find, I had moved in that process. We were building a house. So I'd moved back to Austin. So I found a therapist here after a couple of months of just struggling. I mean, I'm five, two and maybe 105 pounds and I lost 20 pounds. I was working every day, but I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I couldn't do anything but sob. I was just so confused on what the fuck had just happened over the last five years of my life. And I'd moved from Los Angeles. I didn't have any friends. They like to isolate you. All my friends were his friends. So I had no community to rely on. And I was starting over. And I found a therapist here, luckily, who, again, had experience in trauma recovery. I was diagnosed with CPTSD. And we kind of ran from there. It was like, okay, this is what we have to deal with. These are the triggers. This is what's going to happen for the next couple of years of my life. And I never thought I would then have a podcast about it, but here I am. Which is amazing. And that was another thing that I wanted to ask. Um, the fact that you turned your pain into purpose and probably are helping thousands, if not more, um, people who may not recognize they're in a, you know, a narcissistic abusive relationship. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask uh, is, are you able now to spot a narcissist pretty quickly? And how does that go down? Yeah, I feel it. Yeah. It's, you know, there is something about the energy, the way that they talk to you, the things that they ask. Um, it makes all the kind of hair go up. Like I, I have a visceral reaction. And yes, I have encountered a couple. And I really do have like a visceral physical reaction. It's super triggering. And my response is I have zero contact with those people moving forward. I, I can't. Can you, can you detail what happened in one of those experiences? Like what did the person do that you were triggered by? Do you remember? I think it was just the, even the way that they speak. So when you learn about narcissistic personality disorder, they're very patterned because their brain is actually different than ours. There are certain words that they use, certain phrases that they use and the gaslighting. I mean, it, once you understand gaslighting, isn't 
just the first thing that happens. It's not, no, I didn't say that. You said that. That's not the gaslighting. The gaslighting is the second form. Like, I didn't say that. You said that. And then what comes after that is, see, you're losing your mind. You're going crazy. I can't handle this from you. So quite often when you meet a narcissist, you'll see some gaslighting pretty fast. There's a lack of accountability. Mm. And that was, for me, it was the lack of accountability right away. Is there a way to beat a narcissist at their own game? Yes, <laughs> there is. Go no contact, never talk to them again, block them everywhere and go have a great fucking life. <laughs> wow. You can That's have no the only, only way. You got to walk away. You can't yes. get, it, get it them any other way. Gray Rock is not, Gray Rock is a tactic to continue long-term abuse. Gray Rock is a way to cope with long-term abuse and to deal with it while staying in the relationship. And for me, it backfired. Gray Rock is when you have no emotional responses to anything. Everything is okay. Sure. Okay. You basically take your sense of self and demolish it. There's none of it. You're just a shell there to function with them. And to me, that's, I mean, it's a tactic. It, it definitely didn't work for me. He exploded. And they can explode sometimes. It's a dangerous tactic, but one that therapists will tell you if you decide to stay in it. Do you ever see narcissism in children by chance? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's hard. So, right, like we say, that's so you know, interesting. Narcissistic, right? Because they need their needs met. They have to have their needs met. In, in a child's world, it really is all about them. And like yeah. I said, narcissism is a spectrum, right? So like, I did my hair today, like, whoo, okay, I feel good. I got a good start to the day. That technically is narcissistic, but it's positive, right? It's not bad. The difference with narcissism in, in the NPD in the bad way is that it's actually meant to hurt other people, to break down their sense of self, to get what they want. Mm -hmm. Children can be narcissistic, but in most cases, they're not demanding their needs to be met at the expense of someone else. However, right. narcissism is formed during childhood, typically before about eight or nine years old, around eight or nine. So it's young. You'll see it early. If the mm -hmm. child's a narcissist and you're informed, you'll see the behavior. I, I love that question, E. And I think that that's a great topic because maybe we have people listening that are parents. How can you avoid creating a more narcissistic child? Because I agree with you when you say to the child, you're the most amazing thing, or you're neglecting the child, you're possibly putting a narcissist in the world. It's really about embracing and teaching empathy from, the, from day one, right? So we do know that there's this predisposed at birth component. However, they don't understand empathy. Their needs weren't met, so they realized at some point that nobody else's needs mattered. So when you teach the child from an early stage, and I'm not saying this is going to prevent narcissism, there is no real prevention, but just from my experience, I would say when you're teaching a child that everyone's needs are important, including theirs, giving them tools mm -hmm. to voice their needs in a healthy way, but also teaching them empathy for the people around them and why it's important to be empathetic, that we have a better shot at not creating a narcissist. Do most narcissists have narcissistic parents? Like, is that where they're getting that mirrored behavior a little bit? 
Sometimes. So the hard part is, is that when a child is subject to that form of abuse, there are some pretty high percentages that point to they will either become an abuser or a victim. They will either find themselves in that same type of relationship because we've already normalized this behavior throughout our life, or they mm -hmm. will then become one. I don't think that there's data that narcissists breed narcissists. However, we do see a lot of narcissists who had narcissistic parents, but I don't know that there's actual like data on the numbers that to become a narcissist, your parents had to be a narcissist. I don't believe that's, that exists because you can have two healthy parents who have a narcissistic child, but then you can also be a narcissist, an abusive parent, and then your child becomes one too. The scary thing is the other side of that, that so many children of narcissists become a people pleaser or a codependent. And then we find ourselves in that kind of relationship because we don't have boundaries or we don't know how to hold our boundaries. It's not always about setting them. It's about holding them. And I know we need to wrap. Um, healthy boundaries is something that we wanted to talk to you about. Um, mm -hmm. I know one of the things I struggle with when setting a healthy boundary, and I am sensing we are seeing this a lot with high-performing women, modern women, right? More women in the workforce now than ever before. Um, and so one of the things I noticed that I, I struggle with is disappointing people. So that's a thing I'm trying to work through, right? I'm reading literally a book called Not Nice. <laughs> and I'm trying to really understand where my people pleasing and lack of boundaries stemmed from. And obviously, I think a lot of it comes from childhood. Where do you start when it comes to, I mean, is that something that you just recommend to everybody is really getting clear on your boundaries and then, and then sort of sitting in the discomfort of feeling uncomfortable when you disappoint someone with a boundary? Yeah. So here's the most ironic part about that statement. You said <laughs> you, you feel bad disappointing other people, but what you're telling me is that you don't feel bad disappointing yourself. So boundaries are hard, right? Because we are worried about how other people are going to perceive us. As you said, high performance women, we're, it's not that we're assertive, we're a bitch, right? We drew a line in the sand. We have a boundary. So now we're a bitch and we're, you know, not fun to work with or whatever else. That's not the case. So I look at boundaries as sort of a promise to ourself because you can set a boundary. A narcissist doesn't care. They're just going to run right over it. The challenge that we all have, especially as women, I think, because we tend to be more empathetic, the caretakers, all that stuff, is that we don't look at it as a promise to ourself. Okay, here's my list. Here are my non-negotiables. My promise to myself is that I am not going to take no for an answer. It doesn't mean I have to be bullish or whatever else, but this is my boundary. And I'm not going to keep letting people run all over it because that means... I'm not even standing up for myself anymore. And that's the hard part about being with a narcissist too, is that they don't respect any boundaries. So this strong person that they went after becomes completely broken down and weak by the end because they are constantly breaking your, your sense of self down, but also any boundaries you have, nothing is respected. And I think all of us know as women, when we set a boundary, and even men, when you set a boundary and somebody runs all over it, you feel like less because that means they don't respect you. They didn't respect you. They don't care. They only want what they want. So I'm trying to look at healthy boundaries as a promise to myself. These are my needs. Mm -hmm. And 
sometimes, unfortunately, you know, people who are codependent or people pleasers or empaths, we tend to not really look at what do I need first? We look at what everybody else needs, right? You guys are moms. Like, what does the baby need first? What the kids need first? My husband, whatever else. We have to find a way to put ourselves first because we can't have healthy boundaries without that. They go hand in hand. I mean, you've been absolutely amazing. Thank you for sharing with us uh, so transparently. And I, I know we, we, we've run out of time, but um, you're fascinating. We really appreciate that we got this time with you and you really cleared up a lot of things that I think is a topic discussed a lot and um, not necessarily with so much clarity. So Ashley, like, thank you so much. And, and I can't wait to continue to listen to your NARC and me podcast that you can check thank out. Thank you. <laughs> and tuning in. Um, but thank you so much for the time. You were awesome. Yeah, no, thank you guys. I'm really grateful for the opportunity just to create awareness because that's what we need most about this. Yes. Thank you so much for um, your time today. And I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I I'm addicted. So I'm listening to them all. <laughs> I already listened to three. So. I was listening to yours this morning on the somatic healing. So feelings mutual. <laughs> Oh, yay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it was so great to meet you, fellow Action Park Media podcaster, all in the family. Love it. Well, thank you so thank much. You, Have Brian. a great day. You too. Bye. Well, I found that conversation fascinating and kind of scary because it has you sort of going through everyone in your life thinking, oh my gosh, yeah. what does that sound like? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's what I just did. Seriously. <laughs> I do wish we would have asked her one thing, which was, can you, can you name celebrities that you believe are narcissists? Oh, that would have been a good question to ask because that would have been good. She, maybe she would have shared it, but regardless, she's amazing. Listen to her podcast. It's called the narc and me it's on APM and uh, yeah, give her a follow on IG. She's also great on social media. And if you find yourself listening to this and thinking you might be in a situation where you are having emotional abuse, then definitely uh, call somebody, reach out for help, get a counselor and know that you too can survive uh, being with a narcissist. Thank you so much for listening. We will be bringing you another interesting episode of Entertain Her. I'm Erin. We've got Sarah and Erica Zulai will be joining us next time. Thanks